Welcome to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. I'm Jason Kong. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Bill, let's jump right into today's topic. We're going to continue our conversation that we've talked about uh, for a while here, and we always often revisit, Bill, and that has to do with long-term care issues. And, Bill, I I know we put on these seminars uh, the second Wednesday of every month. Uh, We handle long-term care assistance, and with that, there's uh, always this discussion surrounding Medicaid, and there's always a lot of confusion, and that's partly why you do these seminars to inform people well no question about it and one of the sayings that i enjoy is uh you don't know what you don't know and uh and with long-term care issues and of course you know we do these seminars every month second wednesday of each month uh and they're extraordinarily valuable uh to the folks who take the time to come because it it gives people a better understanding, uh, and, and quite frankly, uh, most of the information is a shock to people. It's a big surprise because, they, of course, they don't know until we teach them. <laughs> and uh, but when it comes to long term care and the crisis with long term care, and and for those who are thinking, what does he mean by long term care? It it means when. For most people, it's when we get older uh, and we're seniors. And and all seniors know that we go downhill (laughs) to some degree, some more than others. And now, uh, quite frankly, this kind of crisis can can hit a young person as well. But, you know, the the percentage, the odds are much greater for those of us who are older because our bodies don't work as well. I mean, it, it, it's not like we get, I mean, we might get smarter, we might, we might be more mature, uh, but the b- bottom line is our, our bodies get worse over time for the most part. And we hope our brains don't get worse, but even, even our brains, when we get close to 80 years old, for most people, slows down. And that's a natural occurrence. It's not dementia. A lot of people worry about the fact that they become a little more forgetful. They, you know, it's like, where are my keys? Where did I leave this? Where did I leave that? Or why did I come into this room? That's a fairly natural kind of thing, and it, and it becomes more frequent as we get older. And, and that's a natural thing. It's not because we're diseased or we have something going on other than the fact that we're getting older. Now, uh, obviously, uh, uh, there are, uh, there's a percentage of folks who, in fact, do have different types of dementia, and for them, it's worse. Uh, and so initially, it's hard to tell the difference between very early dementias uh, versus just the fact that we're getting older and a little more forgetful with our minds slowing down and not processing information quite as fast. And, of course, as for a lot of folks who get older, uh, we don't see quite as well as we used to. We don't hear quite as well as we used to. Um, uh, of course, uh, for all the men out there, we have a natural tendency not to hear things we don't want to hear. <laughs> all you have to do is ask your wife about that. <laughs> but, but the fact is that uh, we get worse. But, and 
for a number of people, we start having issues where we need assistance, and that's what called uh, activities of daily living. And when we have the need for somebody else to help us, you know, whether it's help getting out of bed, helping getting dressed, helping moving around mobility issues, getting undressed, going to the bathroom, uh, you know, taking a shower uh, or a bath, um, or being able to prepare our food or to, or to eat our food or, or any of those issues, those are activities of daily living. And when we need assistance, it gets scary expensive. Nobody is prepared for the cost involved in that situation. I mean, and that's the problem because now the the folks who have suffered through these things, the families, because this is a whole family type of thing. It's it affects not only the person who's sick, it has a significant impact on the spouse if there is one. It has a significant impact on the children and sometimes even the grandchildren. So, um, uh, and for some folks, the only option, the only resource is family. For others, they have the financial wherewithal to take care of these issues, but how much financial wherewithal do we need? Well, in, depending on the severity, uh, for, fo- for most folks uh, who need assistance, uh, the money at the lower end of the scale is somewhere around $3,000 a month. Now, this is cash, but for those folks who have additional needs, they need more care at home, you know, four hours a day or more, or they need assisted living, or heaven forbid, they need nursing care. For a lot of families, the cost is somewhere in the neighborhood of $4,500, $5,000 up to ten dollars or $12,000 Per month, so that's what we're talking about in terms of financial need. And for most families, that's pretty scary because there's very few people who actually have the liquidity and the financial wherewithal to make those payments for more than a few months. And for some folks, they maybe maybe they have enough uh, nest egg to pay for care for a year or two. But for a lot of folks, a year or two of financial wherewithal is not near enough, okay? And there are a ton of folks out there who don't even have that much wherewithal. So it is a very, very scary situation. Um, And in almost every instance, the families try to take care of it themselves, uh, sometimes they will seek out others who have suffered through it to see what, you know, what should we do? And, and quite frankly, um, seeking out others, you know, support groups and things like that is an excellent idea, uh, at least for to get gain some knowledge of what might help them, what they might expect in the future, how to prepare for it and things like that. But unfortunately, when it comes to getting assistance, financial assistance, uh, the experience of others isn't always helpful because the rules change. And so seeking good legal advice 
And when it comes to the financial wherewithal piece, getting government assistance, that is a legal issue. This is not where your financial advisor can help you. This is where you need an elder law attorney. Yes, we do stay busy because this is our expertise. This is what we know about and can help folks with. So um, it's, and there's so much confusion about it. Uh, and, and getting good advice early is critical. Having It's the kind of thing where the, if I could just tell folks that if you're in the early stage of a crisis or you think that you may be starting down that road or you anticipate going down that road, getting the advice from an elder law attorney right then is the best thing that you can possibly do. Waiting typically will cost you a lot of money that you may not uh, need to spend if you had good advice from the beginning. Can't tell you how many families I've had that came to see me a couple years after the fact and then realized that if they had just come to see us a couple years earlier, we might have been able to save them a couple hundred thousand dollars that they were, uh, you know, they came to see us when they were running out of money rather than when they still had some. So, you know, that's an important lesson for folks to learn. Uh, now, with that said, uh, I really uh, want to talk for a few minutes about uh, one of the biggest confusions confusing things that people have to deal with in terms of getting your head straight. And it has to do with with a myth and how a couple of the programs work. And the myth is real simple. It's if you give everything away, you know, you don't have anything left, you're destitute, you're a pauper, and, and you don't need help for a few years, you know, that look-back period that we all know about, that the government has a program, well, they'll take care of us. And that is so untrue. I mean... <laughs> Bottom line is you better keep your money so that you have it there for yourself because the majority of people who think they can give it away and preserve it that way are absolutely wrong because for a lot of folks there is no – there's so many people that there's such a huge hole in the safety net for long-term care that a lot of folks – cannot get the assistance that they need. And it has everything to do with home care and assisted living care where there is no financial assistance. So folks need to understand that. And I want to explain at least how that works in North Carolina. Well, that's something that we're going to dive into. I want to implore everyone, if you are dealing with a long-term care crisis, hopefully in the early stages, get a hold of Bill. Schedule an appointment to speak with him. Go to WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. That's Bill's website. There you can find plenty of information about the services that he provides, uh, why he's such an acclaimed elder law attorney. You can also register for the seminars coming up in September Wednesday, September 9th is the next set of seminars. These are free to attend. One of them covers long-term care assistance. Many of the topics that we are discussing today, it is free to register. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the seminars button, and there you'll find all the information there. WGALaw.com or call 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. A quick break and back with more 
You are listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Stick around. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Jason Kong here. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're having a conversation all about long-term care issues. And Bill, just before we took a break there, we were discussing confusion with Medicaid and special assistance and the myth that if you're poor and don't have anything left in terms of assets or money, that the government will take care of you. Exactly. And there's a lot of folks that think Medicaid is one big program. And it is a big program, but it's not one program. It's a lot of different programs. And that's where so much confusion lies because of the fact that the various Medicaid programs have different rules. And then there's also an, another program that's that's stuck in there that that isn't technically a Medicaid waiver program, however, and everybody calls it Medicaid, but it's actually not Medicaid. It's a state program. It's paid for with state and local dollars, and it's called special assistance. So if you want to call it special assistance Medicaid, that's fine. But here's the thing. I mean, and generally speaking, and there are a number of other programs, but just into the basics. If you're trying to receive help at home, financial help at home, Medicaid at home, most people cannot qualify for it because they look at household income, they look at household resources, assets. And so unless you and your spouse are have extremely low income, or if you're a single person with extremely low income, then it's highly unlikely that you cannot qualify for that program. And, of course, everybody wants to stay at home. That's pretty straightforward. So if you're trying to stay at home, okay. But the ability to get financial help there is extremely limited. All right, so what's the next step up? It's, okay, I need more help than just staying at home. I need to go to assisted living. Well, the fact is that's where most people – need assistance. The good news is most people don't need nursing care. Nobody wants to go to a nursing home. Nobody really wants to go to an assisted living home. But it's the kind of thing where there's far more people uh, needing assistance for assisted living than they do nursing care. And that's where our safety net fails. Assisted living is extremely expensive. Uh, typically, the lowest payment for most assisted living homes is around thirty-five hundred to four thousand. That's the low end, but it can get up to six or seven thousand dollars pretty quickly, depending on the facility itself. Sometimes you're just paying for the chandeliers and the carpeting and stuff like that, as opposed to the real care inside. But and I always look at the care level. That's that's what's really important to me. Uh, And it's not always based on the more money you pay. It's based on a lot of other things. But when it comes to financial assistance, it is the special assistance program, the state program, that actually can help some folks. But unfortunately, there's a huge hole in the safety net, and it's all about income. And here's the problem. If, If the patient's income, if your income, the gross income, is over $1247.50 you cannot you're not eligible 
period. Now, I said gross income, and a lot of folks, well, I have a Social Security check. The problem is your Social Security check is reduced every month by your Medicare premium, which for most people, not all, is about $145. So what that tells me is that if you have a Social Security check of $1,165, then once you add that $145 to it, you are over that income cap. If you're over the income cap by one penny, you are not eligible for that program. And here's the bad news. If, if you have $1,175, that's not enough to pay for assisted living. It's not enough to help to pay for somebody to come into your home to help you. Um, it, it, and so you, you're in that um, gap where there's no assistance provided by the state or federal government. Now, if you are so unfortunate to have dementia issues and you need dementia care, or sometimes in the assisted living uh, facilities, they're called special care units, Alzheimer's units, dementia care units. It doesn't matter what they call them. It's those double lockdown units uh, for folks um, where they're making sure you can't get out. Well, there's a higher income cap for that, but it's not much. The income cap for that program is $1,580.50, again, of gross income. So there are more folks who financially can meet the income test, but, of course, most of us don't need that dementia care. So if we can't meet that lower test, then we're out of luck. I had a, a, a client just the other day. Mom's 82 years old. Income is right at $1,600, and she's, she's starting to need assistance. Well, one of the most important things she needs to know is that she's on her and, – and, and she also happens not to be a veteran. You know, that's a place where we can get help for a lot of folks. Uh, her spouse, who's deceased, was not a veteran, so there's no VA help. And uh, her income is over those caps. So she is totally out of luck, even though she has very few resources, uh, because of her income stream, unless or until she needs nursing facility care. Now, if she needs nursing care, I get on Medicaid very, very quickly, in a matter of a few weeks, uh, regardless of the five-year look back and the like. But it's so important for folks to know that depending on their circumstances, there may be no financial help for them. And so they're on their own, and, and that's where the family comes in to uh, because they have to. There has to be somebody uh, that will give up uh, a lot of time and energy in order to take care of folks that, that need that assistance. So that's where the reversal comes, where, where you know, they took care of you in childhood, and now you have to take care of them <laughs> in those later years. That's something that uh, we all have to do at some point, and, you know, we should look forward. Well, I don't know about look forward to that, but we should uh, respect that. And the work that was put in to raise us, we should be able to pay that forward and help out someone else. We are going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be right back.
You are listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can always find more information about him online at WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. There you can register for Bill's upcoming webinars. These are happening next on Wednesday, September 9th. We do this the second Wednesday of every month, so your next chance is that Wednesday, September 9th. Go online to WGALaw.com. Click on the Seminars button. It's free to register. And as I said, as we uh, continue to deal with social distancing, these are all done in the form of webinars. All you need to attend is just an internet connection and an email address, and you can register for free and learn about Bill's seminars. He's got one dealing with long-term care issues, Medicaid special assistance, VA benefits, and also another that deals with asset protection, the namesake of this show and trust planning. Again, go to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button. It's free to register for the upcoming seminars on Wednesday, September 9th. Bill, speaking of asset protection, uh, it's the name of the show. We got to talk about that a little bit today. Folks think uh, a lot of folks have questions about a state tax, or if you want to call it a death tax, that's exactly what it is. Uh, and truthfully, 20 years ago, uh, virtually every middle class family had to worry about the potential for paying a state tax. And a lot of the estate planning back then was uh, based on uh, how to avoid a state tax. Uh, Now, today, the estate tax is not an issue for most families. There are very, very few families, frankly, that have to even worry about it. But I do want to talk about it for a minute for those of us who don't have a problem and for those who do. (laughs) So um, first of all, uh, the, the estate tax actually helps most families. I mean, that sounds a little incongruent uh, to the degree, but here's the deal. The uh, one thing that's so important, folks, has to do with income tax. And planning today has far more to do, good planning has far more to do with income tax planning than it does with estate tax planning. But they're related, even though they're two separate tax codes, uh, they are related in terms of how good planning should take place. And here's the deal. Uh, it, the great majority, 99% of us don't have to worry about estate tax, but we get a big bonus because there is an estate tax for some people. And what's that big bonus? It's called a step up in income tax basis when a person dies. So now, there are a lot of folks scratching their heads and what's that step up thing uh and actually it can be a step down but that's very rare so we always talk about the step up well it has to do with capital gains and appreciated property and in order to figure it out you have to know what your basis your tax basis is in property that you're holding for a long period of time. But I mean, best example is your home. You buy a home and you live in it for 20 years or 30 years, you pay it off. And after 30 years, it's worth a heck of a lot more than it was when you bought it. That's called appreciation. (laughs) Okay. Now you could have the same situation, you know, if you'd bought Microsoft stock back 
you know, 20 years ago for $10 a share, and it's worth $1,000 a share today, that's appreciation. So when you sell that stock, you pay what's called capital gains on the difference between what you bought it for and what you sell it for. Now, real estate can get a little more complicated, uh, particularly with property that you depreciate, you know, because that lowers your tax basis. But let's just keep it simple and say we've bought Microsoft stock. You can't depreciate that. Uh, And now we've had a $1,000 gain on one share of stock. Well, if I die and I leave my share of stock to my spouse or to my children, doesn't matter who I leave it to, there's what's called a step-up in basis so that the new basis for the person who inherits that stock for me is the fair market value of that property at the date of my death. And there's an alternative date six months later, but that means an awful lot. So what it boils down to is my spouse or my child who inherits that stock can sell it after my death and that when they inherit it and pay no capital gains tax. So that's the huge benefit that we get because there is an estate tax that some folks must pay. Okay, now, what is the estate tax exemption today? It's it's over $11.4 million each. So guess what? We don't have to worry about estate tax unless our estate is more than that. Um, and that's, you know, both spouses have that. But uh, there's there's a reckoning coming that a lot of folks don't realize. When the uh, Tax Act was enacted uh, a couple years ago, year and a half ago, uh, there was a lot of benefits for corporations, where corporations, their taxes were lowered significantly. And uh, the our taxes, people, individuals, and married couples – our taxes were lowered a little teeny bit, uh, and there were a lot of things thrown in. Uh, our exemptions, some of our, ex- our personal exemptions went away, so and there were a lot of folks in the middle classes who actually pay more tax than they did before because of how they rearranged the tax system. But that's a different, that, uh, that's a different issue. Uh, the, 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 the real uh, point uh, with, with this it is the fact that in 2026, the individual benefits that were enacted in that code are going away. It's going back to the way it was before that tax act was passed. So the income tax rates are going up and the estate tax exemption is coming down. Okay. And that's assuming that Congress doesn't do anything. Uh, and of course, Congress might do something in the next. Uh, a few years. But we're, we're talking about right now, built into the tax code, is the fact that uh, our tax rates, individual tax rates are going up. Corporate tax rates, they, their benefits stay in the law. They're, they're not sunsetted. But ours are sunsetted, and our estate tax exemption is coming down. And it's coming down to $5.6 million each right now in, in built into la, uh, a law. And it's possible that Congress could lower it even more. So there is a solution uh, for some families as it relates to that. And I can talk about that in a second.
Excellent. And again, you can find more information about asset protection on Bill's website, WGALaw.com. You can also register for his asset protection seminar. Go online to WGALaw.com and click on the seminars button. It is free to register for the upcoming seminars on Wednesday, September 9th. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Stick around. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can always find more about him online at WGALaw.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and we're talking about asset protection as conveniently as that would be. And Bill, we were just talking about the implications of the estate tax. Well, obviously, if folks are fortunate enough to have an estate tax issue, and I would say that anyone with an estate approaching $5 million, depending on their age, uh, it has a potential estate tax issue because our estates grow over time. And it's, you know the, the wealthier we are, the more likely it is it's going to grow faster because we don't have to spend all that. And it tends to grow. Uh, people get wealthy for a reason. That's because they're good with money, and <laughs> it makes a difference. But the point is that if you uh, think you may have an estate tax issue in the coming years, there are things that you can do that are extremely helpful. You know, uh, last week uh, I talked about beat it, uh, trust, uh, that, that uh, of, of course, um, uh, it is a way to freeze values uh, using an irrevocable trust, third-party trust, and the like. But another uh, piece of the pie that folks need to consider is the fact while we we have an 11.4-plus million dollar exemption, we also have a gift tax exemption. So for a lot of wealthy families, it's a matter of how do we use that exemption while we're alive? Well, quite frankly, for some families, it makes sense to create an irrevocable trust and move money into that irrevocable trust while we have the large gift tax exemption. Now, the gift tax subtracts from the estate tax when we die, but right now we can give $11 million away and pay not a penny of tax. We do have to file a gift tax return, but that's okay. We don't have to pay any tax, and it's then out of our estate. Well, that can save our children a lot of money. And another thing about estate tax a lot of folks don't realize, there is no estate tax between spouses. So the government is collecting tax when it goes from one generation to the next generation, which means when it goes to our kids, those are the ones who might have to pay tax. So estate tax planning is all about our kids. It's not about our spouse. I mean, we could leave uh, uh, billions of dollars to our spouse. Wouldn't they like that? Uh, <laughs> but uh, there's no estate tax when it goes to our spouse. It is when it goes to the next generation. So the point is, is that the folks who need to worry about estate tax, there are solutions, but they have to take advantage of those solutions now. Now, if you assume the law is not going to change, then you have another five and a half years to to take advantage. But the fact is that a new Congress may very well lower the exemption sooner. 
And if when they lower those exemptions, they're going to lower the gift tax exemption too. So you might only have a year instead of five years or five and a half years to take advantage. So it might not be 2026. It just depends on politics and that sort of thing in terms of of what happens. Now, again, most of us don't have to worry about these kind of things, but those families who do, taking action sooner rather than later is the right course of action for them. Well, that's great because, uh, and that has to do with deal with all the topics that we've discussed today, Bill, is that taking action sooner rather than later is is key to making sure that you're protected and that your planning is in place. And that's why it's so important to get a hold mm-hmm. of a professional to help you out. Get a hold of Bill. Schedule an appointment to see him. Go to WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com. Or you can call 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Stick around. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, We're going to have a discussion about asset protection. Uh, Surprise, surprise, it's the name of the show, Asset Protection Today. Of course, we're going to talk about asset protection. But, Bill, we want to focus on a, a specific part of asset protection, and that has to do with small business owners. Absolutely. A lot of my clients, quite frankly, own small businesses. And uh, there are a number of situations. I mean, from my perspective, when I talk about asset protection, uh, it's like, how do you make things work? How do you save money? How do you reduce your taxes? you know, and how also how do you protect your property from scoundrels that will try to take it away from you? You know that, that all of those interact in terms of of good planning. Now, business owners they have their own set of problems, and they're not thinking about asset protecting uh, so much as they are in how do we grow our business? How, you know, who do we hire and fire? Who yeah, you know, how do we uh, get our bills paid, uh, cash flow issues, uh, you know, uh, what do we need to do for our employees? What do we need to do for our vendors? What do we need to do for our customers uh, in order to have a better, successful business? And, of course, right now, uh, most businesses or many, many businesses are sucking wind because of the fact that this is not normal times. Uh, now, there are some businesses that are actually doing better. Uh, I mean, now it would be a great time to own pizza parlors because <laughs> I guarantee you that it's almost like a Super Bowl every day in the fact that uh, far more pizzas are being sold. So, I mean, not every business is, is hurting but there are many of them that are, uh, particularly normal restaurants and, of course, bars and other uh, entertainment facilities, movie theaters. There's, I mean, we're just not going out. Um, so uh, it's it's the and for good reason. I mean, we're trying to keep people safe. It's it's important. But okay, let's get back to asset protection when it uh, relates to this. And when it comes to business owners, there. 
Well, I'm merging a, a theme that I talk about, and that is one of the most common ways for people to lose their shirt, and this is male and female, is divorce. I mean, a lot of folks go through divorce. Uh, it's hard. It's emotional. It's uh, financially, it's extremely difficult on both. Uh, it It is um, always more expensive to live on your own rather than having two incomes supporting your lifestyle. <laughs> so divorce is tough on everybody, and, and there is something called equitable distribution of marital property. And marital property, in North Carolina at least, includes all property acquired during the marriage. Now, there are exceptions, such as an inheritance or gifts, but in terms of the money you make, the retirement money you put aside, the business that you're growing is marital property. If you've started that business while you were married— uh, then the business is marital property, even if your spouse does not own any part of your business. It's still marital property, and it, and it has to be equitably divided upon a divorce. So it's like, well, that makes it even tougher for most folks because where are they going to get the money to pay off the spouse that's the non-owner? And I guarantee you that the spouse who's the non-owner of the business um, would much prefer a lump sum of money than what happens most of the time, which is some kind of promissory note that's paid over a period of years to the spouse. And that's assuming that the business owner uh, stays in business and can do that. Uh, I mean, because... You know, a lot of a lot of businesses are tenuous. You know, you you take away the the ability of the business owner to make it successful, and the business goes down the tubes. I mean, there are a lot of issues when it comes to that. Even if the business is pretty valuable upon the divorce, so is there a solution for that? And and actually, there is it. Um, and and this may sound uh, a little crazy. But it's not. It's actually a fabulous solution, and with good advisors, you can make this work. So let's assume that you own the business uh, by yourself and your spouse does not. Uh, you can actually use uh, an SBA, Small Business Administration, loan uh, to finance the 50% that you need to pay your spouse, and you can uh, write off as the business owner, you you can actually uh, write off the financing of the loan. You can generally pay the loan off in ten years uh, to the S. You know, it's guaranteed. It's through the bank, but it's an SBA guaranteed loan, uh, and it works. Uh, and the ex-spouse, or you know, the divorcing spouse, the one who's not the owner, is happy because he or she gets a lump sum payment. Well. That's a pretty cool thing. Now, there the business has got to be restructured uh, so that you can get the SBA loan. And typically, what you do is you give the uh, uh, the uh, I'll just call it the ex spouse uh, who's not the business owner a non-voting interest uh, in the entity, and then after six months and a day 
of the new ownership, then you're eligible for what's called an SBA 7A loan from the bank. Um, and now you can give your ex-spouse a lump sum of cash based on the loan proceeds uh, and then repay that loan over 10 years, amortized over 15 years with your ability to deduct the value of uh, buying your spouse out as, long, as well as the loan interest for the taxes. Um, so that's a pretty nice solution for business owners. Now, there's another one that is really um, uh, that a lot of folks don't realize, too. Uh, and that has nothing to do with divorce. It just has to do with if you have an exit strategy for your business where you want to sell your business uh, in the future. And this is available for, for regular corporations, C-Corps, but it has to be a qualified small business. And so that this is basically where the business owner, uh, the interest in the business is less than $10 million. Well, for a lot of folks, that's not a small business. But, <laughs> but, but uh, that's where we come with the qualified business. And the... This rule has been around for a number of years, but they have sweetened the pie. And since uh, 2010, 100% of the sale under $10 million can be tax-free. So uh, that is pretty cool if you know about it. Now, of course, uh, it does require for a lot of businesses that might be a sub-S corporation or an LLC – Again, it requires restructuring. It requires um, uh, five years, uh, holding it for five years. But truthfully, with most exit stra- most exit strategies should take at least five years to structure yourself out of the business anyway. So if you understand how this, what's called the, the um, uh, Section 1202 Qualified Small Business uh exemption works, that is a huge benefit where good legal and CPA advice can make all the difference in the world in terms of selling your business and walking away without paying a bunch of tax. Again, that's why we need to seek out the advice of professionals. And if protecting your wealth and protecting your assets is something that you're interested in, Get a hold of Bill. Go to WGALaw.com. There you can schedule an appointment to speak with Bill. You can also find information about all the services that WG Alexander and Associates provides. Please call 919-256-7000 if you're interested in speaking with someone on the phone to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill. 919-256-7000. We're out of time for today. If you want to always catch more of bills nuggets when it comes to asset protection don't forget that you can go to wgalaw.com and click and check out the asset protection today podcast there bill has bite-sized nuggets of information for you these are around uh, 10 to 15 minute episodes easy for you to digest and you get the uh, the learnings of bill alexander himself we hope you'll join us again next week thank you so much for listening to asset protection today with attorney bill alexander have a great weekend